following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. I wonder if they edit it out. I usually have to do it most classes. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, just a disclaimer before we start. I am. Uh, you, you can come if you change your mind. Oh, no, I, actually I'm busy. I just wanted to check out. I got the food. Um, so the, I am a uh, son of immigrants. I'm a first-generation American. My father was a Holocaust survivor. My mother was not a survivor, but she also was not born in the States. So I'm very uh, thankful for this country for accepting uh, immigrants in. That's my disclaimer. That being said, um, so we're the, we're, there's two parts here. We have to, because it is a CLE class, we do have to mention some of the law. So just uh, as we know, there was uh, recently the federal government, um, our esteemed president, Mr. Trump, uh, passed a law um, about sanctuary cities, federal law, and it was uh, deemed unconstitutional by I think uh, San Francisco court, so I, could, I think it's 11, um, which in the, the Donald Trump's law is unconstitutional. Um, recently, um, as I think it was last week actually, our own great Republic of Texas passed a law also um, prohibiting sanctuary cities within um, the state of Texas. That means if you um, do, if a city wants to quote unquote be a sanctuary city, which by the way is not a legal term, sanctuary city is a, um, just means you don't want to report and you're telling immigrants, illegal immigrants, that you're not going to report them if they get into and take, come into your custody. So the state of Texas passed a law saying that that is prohibited, um, meaning they will, they are forcing cities to report anyone that comes with it into the custody of the city and, and to report them to ICE and to um, technically hold them. Um, which I'm sure there's going to be appeals on the Texas state law about it. Um, but that's, that right now is the law of Texas. Actually, in today's USA Today, today's edition, I saw something. I can bring it up quickly here. Today's USA Today has an article, just updated an hour ago. It says, more states follow Trump's assault on sanctuary cities. At least 33 states considered laws this year to crack down on sanctuary cities nearly doubled the number from 2016, following President Trump's move against communities that refused to cooperate with federal immigration enforcement. So, I'm not going to read the whole article, but basically, um, many other states are considering similar laws to Texas, especially, as we know, Texas is a leader in all aspects. So, um, when, since Texas passed the law, there are going to be other states um, that are going to look into this. As we know, um, Rob's state, uh, state of Arizona, has tried tried it, I think, many years ago, and it was deemed unconstitutional. Also, I think it was uh, sanctuary, their anti-immigration policies were, I think, also ruled against, if I remember correctly, 2014. Okay, so, uh, so let's, we're going to focus today on the Torah review, not on the law as much. Um, you have to speak to the attorneys about immigration attorneys downstairs on the fourth floor. Speaking of, of illegal immigrants, um, okay. Wait for my children. So, uh, 
Okay, so we have one of these. So we're going to start here. So the question is, obvious question is, what's the Torah's view on immigration in general? Food is kosher. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That would be great. On how do we treat uh, refugees? How do we treat immigrants, legal, illegal, and how that works? Yes. Question. So we're talking about, in general, the general Jewish philosophy and halacha. Um, relevant more to us here, but we, it is obviously the examples that we're going to find in Allah and the precedents are going to be relevant to how Eretz Yisrael, the Canadians, I don't mean the state of Israel, but uh, Eretz Yisrael. Yes, yes. I'm saying those are going to be some of the precedents, but we're going to talk about it in general, or applicable to everyone. Um, so, first, just to start with, as we might be aware of, some of us may not be, but uh, the term ger um, is used today, we use it as a ger tzedek, for a convert, but really the term ger, just the word itself means stranger, and it's used really interchangeably throughout the term. It's 36 times um, that there's the mitzvah of the hafta mesager, it's one of the off, most often mentioned mitzvah in the term, is the hafta mesager, and again, it's not clear um, in many of the contexts if it's referring to a ger tzedek, an actual convert to Judaism, or it's, if it's referring to what's known as a ger toshav, which is what you're referring to, is a concept um, brought in, in Kamal talks about extensively. It's also a very vague concept, a concept called a ger toshav, which means that non-Jews who wanted to live within the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael um, had to accept we'll talk about that that's what they had to accept and then they would be allowed to live they didn't have to be Jewish meaning to be cons- to get equal rights within Eretz Yisrael when Jews were living there um, when Jews were living and when there was a Malchus the halacha was you just had to have certain criteria and even as a non-Jew um, you had almost full rights as we'll see within the country of Eretz Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael so that, um, so every time the Torah refers to the concept of a hafta mesager, it's very nice, it's very vague, and you're shown in almost every place in the Torah you find the term there, you can have machlokas, whether, machlokas are shown usually, whether it's referring to a ger toshav or a ger tzedek. Um, but either way, as we'll see, the philosophy of it is very, very clearly the Torah needs to stress 36 times that there's a mitzvah to treat um, strangers, quote-unquote, equally. Whether, again, it means Gertzelek, Gertosha, whatever, however it's referring to, the philosophy is the same, um, which is that clearly Torah understands human nature as human beings. Um, I think it's inherent within us that people who are different cultures than us, we treat differently. Um, uh, that's for sure if you live in, in Texas. It's, it's surely like that in this state, but I think it's uh, not just, it's not limited to the South, it's anywhere. People of different cultures are treated differently in the societies. And therefore the Torah has to stress, and, and what's interesting, the Torah in this case even gives a reason, and tells you, very, as you know, really does the Torah give a reason as to why we have a mitzvah, but in this case the Torah does, the Torah says, right, in Shmos, and by the way, I apologize, the handout, um, it's everything in English, because uh, it's made for not on Hebrew speaking crowd. I was too lazy to put in the Hebrews, so I apologize. I do have everything in the original sources here if you want to take a look at it. But, but the, the point is so um, that uh, the, the Torah tells us here in Shemais, the Torah tells us very clearly the reason is, we have to miss a ger, 
it says Lysinu, there's a love also associated with it, a negative commandment, not to not to oppress the ger. And again, it's questionable here if it means Gertoshim, Gertedek, or both. Um, because you yourselves, the Torah says, so we, Torah is telling you, we know what it's like. We've been there, done that. And therefore, we know what it is as Jews to be strangers in a strange land and to be living amongst another culture and treated differently because we're Jews. Of course, it's not just Mitzrayim. It's been a long time since then, and we've, we've experienced this in many different countries. Um, and even till this day, it's still... Uh, so we live amongst different cultures, and, and many times we are oppressed because of that. Okay, even in this wonderful country of ours, United States of America. Um, so that's it's very clear that the Torah is stressing again. That's what the Torah seems to stress it, and many many Mufarshim do explain that the Torah stresses many times because it's going against human nature. Human nature, human nature is to be um, racist, is to be um, is to treat people of different races, different cultures, different. That's human nature. And Hashem understood it, and therefore you have to stress it many times in the midst of after this again. Okay? Um, so that's off the bat, very important to understand. So we're dealing with people coming into the country, um, what are, and they're coming from different cultures. So we, we, as Jews, need to be the first one to be understanding and not treat them differently because, solely because of their cultural race. We're going to get into the, the, so the so that's the general philosophy, very important philosophy. Again, it's stressed. And right? by the way, even in last week's parsha, um, I remember it says uh, it says it puts in the word ger by Adam. It says even gerim, and it's a question what that means. So even there, it's much like Zushayim is a different thing. Obviously, it came in again. Like many of the contexts. So obviously, if you convert, you have the same isurim as any Jew. So there, um, Avinazar talks about it. And he discusses this question of when the Torah used the term ger, in many cases it means ger toshav, and that, which means, again, the, the term, it means a stranger living amongst you, um, what we call a resident alien, I guess, in legal terms, the term would be resident alien, um, or, or maybe even an illegal alien. So that's, that's the person who's referring to, again, living in Eretz Israel, in that country. Okay, so that's the basic philosophy. So now the question obviously becomes now, how do you deal with this mitzvah, again, almost 30 years, many times repeating the Torah, in the context of when they're, by, by treating them equally, by treating these people equally who are coming into our country, um, first of all, there might be a security issue. Okay, again, I can't speak to the facts. I'm not a, that's not my expertise. But we're not going to get into whether there is a security issue or not. Are they, is it possible to vet them properly or not? But assuming, let's assume for argument's sake, there is a security issue that you might be letting in people that can endanger um, American citizens. So now you have another question. How do you deal with this mitzvah of Haftam Asaiger versus um, the issue of, of uh, lives, of security of the, of the society in general? That's number one. And question number two is, and that's the question I put on top, how much are countries obligated to compromise their own security um, to fulfill this mitzvah? Okay. And number two is, um, is even the economic issue. Meaning also, halacha recognizes many areas of, business, of Jewish business ethics, many areas even in, in the Raisa, the Raisa, the issue is that there's an issue of not encroaching on someone's uh, livelihood. Okay, this the uh, Saga's Gvul, what we call the, the Mitzvah of Saga's Gvul. So the issue becomes, if these people coming in, even if there's no security threat, but there's an economic issue involved, that they're taking away jobs, um, or 
even economically, we're going to have to help them um, to get them on their feet and, and provide them with services, which will take away services from our own society, okay, which will negate certain services in our own society. So how does that work? Wouldn't the bigger issue be um, comparing or balancing the protection of the citizens versus not to oppress the gay as opposed to loving the gay? Well, I'm, I'm, I lumped it all together. I mean, it's I mean, all part of after. It's like, yeah, you're right. There's a, there's a lot of like, sun. Right, there's a lot. Right, the yes. lot would be the bigger issue. Yes, I mentioned it. It's true. There is a lot of pointing out. But, but I'm saying either way, the question is how do you write? How does that verse has that work? Well, there's, there's two questions there. We'll see. There's allowing them in, which that might be an issue of after. I mean, you have a mitzvah to love different people, uh, refugees, let's say in this case. Or let's call them refugees. Talking about, let's say, the Syrian. I forget the uh, Mexicans. As they deal with the Syrians, where they're really suffering, they're gonna if they stay in Syria, many of them will die, and surely suffer. So should we be allowing them into the country? And then there's a question: once they're here, what are our obligations? There's also I want to point out there's a big difference between societal obligations and individual obligations. Mitzvah after Mitzvah is is not necessarily mitzvah on society. It's mitzvah on each person as individual. So just because the government might not have certain or might have certain obligations doesn't mean that's not different. You have to look at it from the societal viewpoint and from the individual viewpoint. It's two different parts to it. The mitzvah of after Mitzvah seems to be going in general, not on a society, but an individual. But, but it's a good point. So meaning, Gabriel's pointing out that there's a, it's not just a nice mitzvah, you know, lovey-dovey mitzvah, love the guy. It's a mitzvah of, there's a, there's a negative commandment. You cannot oppress them. It means if they're here and you have a choice of offering a job to a refugee or, or a, uh, because as I pointed out, I actually put on the thing, the Medrash says, oppression means even financial oppression. When we say oppression, doesn't mean you treat them, you know, you're, you're a racist and you treat them differently. It means even financially. It means if you have a job opening your company and you can give it to an a immigrant, you know, a refugee, or give it to a, a regular person, so you might have a chiv to give it to a refugee for the regular person. Because, or at least treat them equally in the job, just because the guy, again, obviously you need an English speaker and a, some with certain skills, of course, it's not applicable. But assuming they're both equal, well, they both speak English well, and they both, you cannot not offer the person a job just because it's refuge. That's what it seems. That's what Gabriel's pointing out. You're over a lot. It's literally a negative commitment in the Torah. You can't oppress them, and according to the Mechotah, means even financially. Okay, so it's a pretty serious thing. It's not just a nice, lovey-dovey after Masagar. It's a pretty serious uh, issue. Um, okay, so, so again, so there's, so there's two issues on the table. The issue is safety concerns, security concerns for the country, for society at large, individually, and then there's the issue of financial um, economic issues, which clearly if you're going to bring in, you know, uh, what Obama proposed was bring in 150,000 uh, Syrian refugees, that could have a big effect on the country economically. Okay, so that's, so that's, those are the two questions. So, so, again, there's not much written about this um, in, in real uh, chuvas, current contemporary chuvas. But what I did was, I, you know, if you go to the Hilchestaka, you just, the first step is just to go to Hilchestaka, the laws of charity, and and Hilchestaka, uh, as we know, it's extensively dealt with an issue of priorities. Just the question of, in, whenever you have, um, when you're dealing with most of us, I can't speak for everyone, most of us have finite amount of funds, including the government, even the government, uh, um, have, believe it or not, has finite funds, and therefore when we're ha helping people, whatever services we're offering to people or the country or even as individuals, there's always finite funds. So you have to know how to give your stock, how, how to prioritize. Okay? And, and there's extensive, Allah talks about extensively, it's actually based on 
psukim in the Torah of how one should prioritize in their tzedakah giving. Who do you help first? You have two people to help. Okay, so you have the the kid on late, you know on late night TV, the commercial, the cleft palate in in Rwanda. You know, some kid in Africa was born with cleft palate. Or yeah, or you have um, um, or you have people, homeless people in Houston. So how do I know who to give to first? I give the homeless in Houston. I give Kolo. I give Jr. I give Torch. There's a lot of stuckers, as we know, asking for money. Federation. I hope you don't leave anyone out. I'm sure I did. So, so right, a lot of people ask for your money. So you have to know how to prioritize. So, so the Rambam goes through a whole extensive list on priorities. Um, for example, even even personally, we, of course, and it's based on psukim. By the way, the Gemara based on psukim. You have to take care of your family first. That's number one. Number two is um, even your ex-wife. By the way, the Rambam puts on the list. Even your ex-wife. Can get personal here? It needs to be taken care of um, before before other people. If you're giving tzedakah, your ex-wife needs money. She she goes before before a stranger. Okay. My ex-wife in particular, or everybody. What? I right. said my. Problem. I said I'm not going to go. Oh, okay. Okay, but there is halacha. That's halacha for Rashi. Ex-wife, I think, is number eight on the list. In the Rambam's list, I believe. <laughs> okay, so but this is a, this is in Shabbat. This is real stuff. This is uh, so so again. So in the list of priorities. So um, so actually, you know, I skipped something. This is really and I skipped to number five here, but so we'll go back to number four. But let me finish number five. So there's a concept called um, based on a, on a pasuk in the Torah. I believe it's in Pashat Bahar. I'm not sure. Um, it says uh, you're giving money um, to indigent people. It says it starts with the sharecha. The first thing mentioned is sharecha. That means people of your city. And Allah is The people of your city come before anyone else. Okay, so that means again, if you're, it's, it's a question of like, watching TV and, and two in the morning, and there's a commercial for the cleft palate. To people in Africa, kids in Africa, born cleft palate. You're, you're not allowed to give them stucco. You can't send to the cleft palate in Africa before you. Give to the homeless in Houston. Okay, so that's Allah. It means the poor of your city come before the poor of outside your city. And then it says number two is um, not the Lashem, but the Bar which means Eretz Yisrael. After your city, after you've taken care of the poor of your city, then you can give to the poor of Eretz Yisrael. So it means if they're collecting for whatever is in Eretz Yisrael, for an orphanage in Israel, so you can give them money, but only after you have the locals first. And that's the list of priorities. So, so that's a very clear concept. Again, in Hilkha Staka, as an individual, giving who you have to do chesed with first, who you have to apply your funds to, is your, your people come before uh, foreigners. Okay, so when you're dealing with Syrian refugees or general, you know, every, any type of foreign refugees that need help, of course, yes, we have to help them. But again, it's only after you've given Staka to the local. So meaning, if by helping the, the Syrian refugees, we're not going to be able to help our local vet- veterans who also seem to be suffering, according to some, right? they're not getting their, what, you know, their, their, whatever they're supposed to, whether it's medical or whatever it is, their services. So then we have to help, the, as a government, you would say also, we can make the argument, we have to help the veterans, United States veterans, before we help Syrian refugees. That's concept number one. And, and I have a, actually I heard this firsthand from my sister-in-law's brother, actually asked this child to Moshe Feinstein in 1974. Um, he asked Moshe at that point, the, the uh, um, Vietnamese uh, boat refugees were coming to the United States, 73, and there were many boats of Vietnamese refugees coming in, and were, the boats were being turned away. 
dressed like the Jews were in, in the 40s. Right? So he went, and there were people protesting. You know, it was after the 60s, people were excited. So there were many people protesting in the streets against the government. I don't know who, um, whoever it was at the time. And, uh, and the question was, so he went, this guy, went to ask for Moshe Feinstein, heard it from the guy himself, to ask him this Shiloh, should, as a Jewish community, should we go out there protesting um, also to allow the Vietnamese poor people into the United States? And Ramaj says, unequivocally, said, yes, we have a chiv as a Jewish community to go out and protest and make a mechah because these people are not being treated properly and they're going to be sent back to Vietnam and they, you know, their safety is, in, is a concern. But, he told them, he said, but, you know, first, let's take care of our own problems. Once we took care of our own community, because we've got enough problems in the Jewish community, focus on that. If you make a protest about whoever, whatever else there is to make a protest about, about the Agunas, or about the uh, people in Beit Shemesh not dressing in tzias, then we can go ahead and, and, uh, and, and protest the, uh, for the Vietnamese Bob people. But that's when we have a here, meaning we're saying this a lot. Yes, we have a chiv to, to show support for the refugees because they, there's Allah in the Torah. We have to, as Jews, we have to show support. It's right to bring in these refugees to the country. But our priorities have to be our own community first. Once we dealt with problems in our own community, and then, then you can go ahead and protest for the Vietnamese people. Never 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 that is a very good point, meaning there's, there's, there's always going to be people in the community that help. So it's, that's probably what Amaja was saying. So, you know, so in, in philosophy and concept, in theory, this is a very nice thing. We have to help the, the Syrians. And it's, it's true, we should be helping them. And they're going to die in Syria. But the question is, we, we have to prioritize in our focus. We have limited resources. Again, this is for an individual. How it would apply to a government might be slightly different. And we'll talk about maybe try to figure out the difference. But as, as an individual... What did the Melech Yehuda used to do? I mean, what do we know from that? The Melech of Israel, the Melech Yeah. I mean, as far as what? Had, I mean, he had his own city. He had, you know, the city of Yerushalayim. Who did he give to? I mean, I assume... Policy, so you mean services as a society? I'm saying that, as, that, that as a society. That would be the template of what you were talking about. If you wanted to compare America, you don't compare it to a Yachin. You compare it to... You compare it to what? You don't compare it to a Yachin. Right, the, the oh, yeah, you how you divvy up your so I, I couldn't, I don't know anything, right, about society. It's very hard to find, you know, as, I mean, not, I couldn't find much on it. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's like one safe on Hilchus besides the Rambam, which is it's not clear, they don't discuss it. The Rambam, I mean, again, most most of stuck is discussed as individual <coughs> as a society. So it's hard to find, I, don't, I can't tell you. Could be, if you can find something. Um, so I'm, uh, you're right, I'm applying the halachas of stuck of individual, seemingly, um, but I'm assuming the, the same clone would work for society as all. Well. You know, if you have a stuck of fun, it's not individual, it's the same thing, that's society. So if we have a stuck of fun in the city, so who do we give the stuck to? Do we give it locally or, or not? By the way, there's, there's interesting, there's other cities. I know in Chicago, Rabbi First told me this straight out. I, I once was working for Torch, I was going to go fundraising there. And he told me, we have a rule in the city. He tells all about that, and they're not allowed to give anything outside of Chicago. Uh, you guys are going next week. Meet him. Can I ask him about this? You going, you going, no? Anybody here going with the trip? So Rabbi first, who I'm, I'm actually supposed to call him tomorrow to set up the meeting. But you guys, uh, he is, uh, he, the Salah, he takes it seriously. And here, Chakodim. There's Balbat in Chicago. He tells them, you have to give stock in the city. We have no right giving to Israel, giving to the call in Houston. Well, you have no right to do that. But if you're going to give, 
If you have unlimited funds, okay, you have no idea. Says, after you gave all your stock in Chicago, now you can go and give to other places. So this is a serious, it's a real halacha that's applicable. It's not just, uh, again, it's not a nice okay. philosophical But concept. Rabbi, how do you quantify after you gave to Chicago? Right, so that's a good question. So you need to go there. Uh, because there's never, there's never, Aaron will ask for first there's always question. more that you can give. I think actually having a, a question and answer period. Aaron, it's going to be a question and answer period Rabbi first, so you could ask him first. Yeah. You can write down the question and ask him for us. Let us know what he says. But that's the rule in, in Chicago. I don't know everyone hasn't made that rule here in Houston yet, but one day we'll get to that level. So, so, um, so this is an important halacha. So that's number one. And as I said, Rabbi Feinstein did agree with, with this halacha and the concept that we need to first take care of our community. And, and you say it, there's no question people use this as a rationale. And Eric, you're right in that sense that it could be easily used as an excuse. Someone comes to you from out of town. I'm sorry, I only give the city, but you have to. The truth is, you can only use that. Yeah, you can only use that excuse if you're talking giving. If you're giving what you're supposed to be giving here, then you can use that excuse. You can't use the excuse just as an excuse. That's the point. Um, so that's number one. And by, and by the way, we, we know that also, of course, is halacha that you're not allowed to. It's prohibited to give away more than a chaymish of your net worth. That's also halacha. People don't know this. It's not it's good to know this. It's, you're prohibited to give away more than a fifth of your net worth. So we are, um, that's Allah. Um, hopefully it should be relevant to... to You're not allowed to do it to... You're not allowed to give Staka more than a fifth of your net worth. Because well, the whole aspect is you helping other people. But if you're going to end up in the poor house because you're giving staka, right? So but doesn't it also apply to any to doing any positive mitzvah? Yes, so that's what's based on. Yeah, yes. So, so, uh, yeah. so I guess my question is: Is my if I am, am I obligated to keep my ten percent, ten percent, for example, in Houston? And then if I want to give another 10% to Israel and Chicago and Syria, I'm free to do that? Yeah, so I'm assuming, yes, it means you're, well, even above your 10%. So I don't know the answer exactly, but that's what Aaron's going to find out for us. But even above your 10%, you, you, it seems like your obligation first comes from locals. Once you gave technically Tzedakah to them, so, and it's a, it's a very big number, it's a great year. I don't know the answer exactly how to put a number. But, uh, okay, so that's that's cloud number one. So that's uh, that I think could be applied here, and we need to take care. Like I put it on the sheet, you need to, we need to take care of our own veterans and our own local masters before we take care of the Syrian refugees. Listen, there's a pile of they're coming and opening the pile of Syrian refugees, and maybe a local car. So that's number one. Number two, I, sorry, I skipped four by mistake. Let's go back to four. There's another concept, which is the concept of, the, this is, gets more to the security issue, last of Helchus Taka, but there's a concept of what's called Chayach in Halacha, which means that this is based on also in a verse in Helchus Taka, actually. The verse says, um, but it says, when you give Taka, again, to poor people, you shall give, you shall have your brother live with you. It's in, it's, it's in the context of Ribas, of actually alone also, to talk about. Um, so you shall give staka and lend the money. Your brother shall live with you. Meaning, pasuk shan the pasuk is the simple interpretation is you bring you should bring them up to the same level that you, you know you have to provide them a lot of things learned from the pasuk. Of course, you have to you know, to give them what their needs are, etc. But but the Bekiva uh, makes a drash from that pasuk, famous drash of Bekiva. He says the tells you 
that it's only imah, meaning you're giving stock, and this is really where the fifth comes from also, that when you're giving stock to someone, you shouldn't give it away where you're gonna, they're not going to live with you. I mean, you also have to live. Obviously, again, don't give away all your money, that's number one, but also by giving them, by doing chesed with someone, literally, they're gonna, you're not going to live, right, in the, in the full sense of the word, and we'll explain what that means. Those are very vague, so then you don't have the chiyot stock to them. Okay, and the classical case is, uh, and that's where the Kiva, the story of Kiva is going on, same story about Matthias, where, where you two people in the desert, and they, there's only one jug of water. So I don't have to share my water with you. If there's a chance that I'm going to die if I share my water with you, there's only enough water for one of us, and there's no Walmart nearby. Okay, so if I share my water, there's a good chance that we're not going to find the sewing uh, machine in Walmart and meet other hikers, and therefore we're going to die. I'm going to die, we're going to die, I'm going to die. So I'm not mukhri to share my water, even though there's Allah, I have to save your life also. Okay? Sanadam Rech, I have a khir to save you, but not at the expense of my own life. It's a very important Allah also. So that, that's called Chayach HaKadmi. We you know it's actually Machlaik is there. We pass him like a Bikiva, according to most, you know, it's not clear. The, the assumption is we pass him like a Bikiva that Chayach HaKadmi. That means if I'm doing chesed or giving stuck in a, in a way where it's going to affect, it could affect the safety of my own life, I'm not, I have no khir stuck. This is why, by the way, we're not believed to give uh, donate kidneys. Because really, we have two kidneys, so why shouldn't I have to donate? If someone needs a kidney, I have a chiv to give it to him. Save his life. So according to most Muslim today, the reason why you don't have a chiv, it's, it's a nice thing, is because of the same thing. Because since there's a, a certain danger in donation of a kidney, in the surgery, or you know, every surgery is inherently dangerous, or even the risk for future, so therefore I don't have to give my kidney, have no chiv to give someone else a kid. That's the assumption based on the same passage. So, so the question is how to apply that here. Uh, <coughs> again, I don't know the facts, but assuming we can't vet the immigrants properly, Syrian refugees, and they're gonna, they're going to affect the security of our country or our society, whatever it is. So then, the you could apply the same concept of meaning even though yes, we have a chiv of stuck, we have a chiv of chesed to bring them in and to help refugees. No question, as the Rosh said, we have a chiv to do whatever we can for them. But if it's going to affect our, our society security or our individual security, we're going to have uh, increasing crime and whatever it is. Or and the same applies, by the way, for, for Mexico, not just for Syrians. Um, so it's not just a question of terrorism. It could be if these people are are the numbers shown again. I'm not, I don't know the numbers. If the numbers show that these immigrants, there's an increase in crime when these uh, illegal immigrants come into these border towns, okay, so when they're, they're committing more crimes, so then the same thing would apply. We have no chiv of chesed, we have no chiv to help them. Um, because if by bringing them in and by helping them, we're going to increase or make our society more dangerous, so then you have this issue of chayachatayim. That's another uh, applicable principle which I think would be applicable to, to this law. Are okay with that? So that is number four. Okay. No questions? Anything? Okay, so now, um, so I put that number six as another issue, just in Hatzlaka, which would be that, um, that, uh, there is a concept, even in Hatzlaka, that, of course, as we know, the Rambam talks about highest level of is not, people think it's a Christian concept, came from Yashka, it's actually from Gemara, the Rambam quotes it, and it's, it's uh, which is that, uh, you know, people quote it, that teach a man to fish, 
I don't know the exact quote. Someone help me out here. Oh, teach a man to fish better than giving him a fish or something like that. Yeah, give a man a fish for a day, teach right. him to fish. Yeah. Exactly. So that really, it's, it's people quote it from, from JC, but it's actually uh, in the Gemara. Um, he got it from the Gemara, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, the point is that the Quran says the highest level of stuck is not to give someone a handout. Highest level of stuck <coughs> is to give someone a to start them off in business, to help them, give them a job. That's, a higher, that's the highest level of stuck. Giving someone money, it's a nice thing. Like yesterday, that's it. They spend the money, they, you know, they buy the cigarettes, buy the beer, the six-pack of beer, and they're done. Right? If you give someone a job where they can support themselves, or teach them a trade, right? so that's a much higher level of stuck. So, so that becomes the question here with immigrants, what's best for them? You know, is, is it better to bring them in this country and then we're giving them handouts? You know, we have to put them in services, giving them free health care, free everything, six years and they're on HUD and WIC and every other program, and for s- six years we're paying out. Is, is that a good thing? Is it better to try to help them in a way, keep them where they are, which originally this was proposed, now it's probably irrelevant, but let's say making safe zones for them in Syria and th- or things like that where we can help them there in their own place where they speak the language, they're part of the same culture and they have, and we can help them in a way which will help them get, be okay where they are as opposed to bringing them here where they'll be stuck, you know, and, and they don't speak the language and et cetera, et cetera. So that's a whole different <coughs> angle which, uh, you know, again, I don't know the facts today, probably at this point it's irrelevant. Um, probably to make safe zones for them in Syria, but, but there are other ways that people have proposed and, and that have come up to help them besides just bring them in and throwing money at them. Okay? So Why don't we give them California? Speak up. Yes, yeah, so I actually had a question. Yeah. Did you come across anything in terms of the hierarchy of giving money where giving money may not be... Uh, You're going back to your ex-wife? What? You're going back to the ex-wife? <laughs> no, 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 no. no. It's, not, it's, not, it's not Sadaka, but it's like a, almost like a hobby or something. Meaning, if somebody says, you know, there's a hierarchy, but the reality is we are fi- uh, individuals' finances are very different than they were in the times of the Rambam, and now people have recreational expenses. You know, instead of going to the movies, uh, I like to help Syrians. Uh, so that's a great so example. So I'll tell you this. So there is a Gemara. So I didn't, I mean, the Gemara, there is a Gemara, a Gemara that talks about it. So it's a very good point. Meaning, we, and, and it goes back to Eric's question also, and I, I didn't address it, which is of... You know, where do you draw the line? When do, when do we, when you asked, when do we finish taking care of our society that we did? Was what's called, or taking care of my own family. You know, we have to go on a cruise once a year, and that's, you know, $30,000. Pesach, seven days, you know, it's not cheap, going on a cruise for Pesach. So, so is that, so I have to take care of my family. the cruise, that's obviously, you need that, but. So, what the Gemara says like this, a fascinating Gemara. I don't remember, I think it's in Belmont I don't remember exactly where. Mark talks about there's a river coming down a mountain, okay, and uh, and the river is the water source for the village on top of the mountain, and the, and, the, and the source for the village on the bottom. So the Gemara says, so this, if the people on top need water to drink, of course they can take the water to drink, even though the people at the bottom of the mountain are not going to have drinkable, potable water, and they might die, because it comes to them first, so they have the rights to the water first. So Gemara, so if I remember, and I think it's not a machlekes even, I think everyone agrees. Gemara goes a step further. It says, what about if the people on top needed to wash their clothing? They, don't, they, have, they have water to drink. That's not an issue. And there's enough water if they, if they don't wash their clothing for the bottom village too. But if they use the water to wash their clothing, there's not going to be enough for the people on the bottom to have to drink, the bottom village. Are they allowed to wash their clothing in the, with the water? Says Gemara, yes. Still mutter. Why? In the, the, if I remember, again, it's been a long time, but if I remember the Gemara correctly, the chat is... Farshim explained there because 
it's not when we say you know it endangers your life obviously you don't have water to drink that's a danger to your life but as a society and this is very relevant Obamacare had a lot of questions but to your question too which is meaning the government saying there's no health care there's no money for health care we can't, we can't uh, provide for people who have, or the veterans right? there's not enough money but listen they're giving uh, uh, you know the uh, I forgot what it's called institutes of art department of agriculture no, that's also that's important. Agriculture is important, but arts. Uh, I'm talking about education. arts. Giving money to to putting pictures of uh, naked women, statues in in urine in Washington D.C. and the Smithsonian. Spending the government spends billions of dollars, millions, I don't know, billions, and that too. So, the, so how could the government say we don't have money for giving money to all these cultural they things? All on those okay, so right, so that's the question. So, do they have a, how does that work? Meaning that we have opera, we have we have uh, you know we have to, we have theater, we have parks, let's say Houston, so, so the way I understand it is a fascinating thing, that that is, if it's something that's normally part of life, meaning to run a society, you also have to have culture. You can't just have hospitals. If you have a society with just hospitals, it's not going to work. You do have to have parks for recreation. You do have to have, part of society is washing your clothing. So even though the top village, listen, you know, my father told me he grew up in Poland they once a week, switched to two pairs of pants, one for Shabbos, one for during the week, never took a shower, you know. Like it wasn't, uh, so they survived. It wasn't a health issue. It was, but, but they seemed to have been just fine, right? You know, they didn't have uh, seven, you know, uh, you know, eighteen pair of shirts that they sent to the Chinese laundry every every week, right? So, so you could survive without washing your clothing, you know, once or whatever it is. But the Gemara seems to be implying since that's a normal part of life, so that's 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 your society. We as a society has a right to take this water for whatever we need in our societal issues, even if it's going to affect. The village downhill, because since we have the water first, it's like we have rights to the water. Even though the water, people downhill are going to have to find, you know, ship in water from somewhere else and buy bottled water, whatever it is, it's not our problem. Even just for washing your clothing. So what I what I remember uh, today in contemporary times, they apply this to this aspect of like culture. So a city has a right to give money for parks, even though they're not going to have enough to give people free healthcare, which that's Pikuach Nefesh, you can make the claim. Healthcare is Pikuach Nefesh, so, this, so society has to provide everyone free healthcare and not give money to any parks. But it doesn't work like that. Society needs to have parks too. Can we survive without parks? Yes. Can we survive without the crews for Pesach? Yes. But, some people can't, like you're saying, yes. Might be a bad example, but the point is that we, you have a right to live what's considered normal in your society. It depends where you live, five towns are. Phoenix <laughs> makes a big difference in where you live, um, but how you live, <coughs> Toronto, different levels of uh, of Montreal, so, of of uh, of, of, of what of what's considered normal in that society. So based on that, it would seem from the Gemara that yes, meaning I only have to get stuck again. Obviously, it's a limit. It doesn't mean if I can't make payments on my uh, Jaguar, so you know that that's might be different, but. You know, so you have to know the obviously limit. It's a gray area. What's considered normal and depends on the society you live in. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's I think the answer. But it's 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 a gray area. You're right. Not uh, clear. Okay, so so I want to finish here. So getting back to so, uh, so first of all, number seven, very important. Number seven is and this is what we mentioned before when Eric started off with the question of Gertosha. So the Rambam says this is a very important aspect, also very relevant to the topic, which is the Rambam says very clearly, in number six. Highest form of tzedakah is low. No, not that one. Number seven. Six. Sorry. Oh, okay. Number seven. So read you the Rambam in the original Russian here. Let's put it out. So 
So Ram says very clearly that part of the mitzvah of Gertoshev is they have to go in front of, actually it's a question of um, if they have to go in front of a Bezdin or just in front of a Gertos. I think the Rabbi Paskin said, Yotos, you don't need a Bezdin. But the people coming in, the Gertoshev, that means the non Yidin who are coming in, here's the Lashon Rabbah, I'm going to read you. So Rabbah says like this, Ezu Gertoshev is number seven in English, on your sheet. Ezu Gertoshev, Ze'akum, this is a non-Jew, Shekibel love, that accepted upon him, Shalom Yavod, Avodus Kachavim, he's not going to um, worship idols. Im Shara Mitzvot, Shinstavu Beninoch, and the other six Sheva Mitzvot of the Sheva Mitzvot Beninoch. There's seven no idol laws, as we know, uh, Judaism is a universal religion. We're not, we don't tell people to, to have to convert. You couldn't go to heaven. It's one of the only religions that we say you can go to heaven even without converting to Judaism. Very happy, you can stay in Jew, you can still go to heaven. Um, as long as you're a what's called Sheva Mitzvah which is mostly um, social laws. Most of them, there's there's other ones, right? So, so as long as they're a that, we're fine. We accept them, and that's what the Ram says is an act is obligatory in order to, to live in Eretz Yisrael. You want to come live in Eretz Yisrael, you're not Jewish, you don't have to convert. You can get full rights, and as the Ram says here, as long as you're in the Kabbalah, Shavad Mitzvah, So he says, Velo Mal, they don't have to have circumcision, Velo Tavo, they don't have to do tefillah, no mikvah, they don't have to go through anything a ger goes through, a ger tzedek. Erez and Kabbalah also, we have to accept them, Mechassidim and Mosolim. So he says, you have to accept them. Um, they live amongst us, you have to let them into all your cities. Um, and not everyone agrees to the rabbi in that. Some say you shouldn't put them in the border cities, because they could be a security threat actually. So you have to be careful where you put them, you don't want a fifth column within your countries. But the rabbi seems to say they get equal rights. That means whatever we're giving our citizens, these people, even non in Earth as well, have to get the same rights. But the key point is, and that's what I want to point out from the Ram, the key point relevant to us is that they have to accept the laws of the Shavu Mitzvah Nenav, the laws of the land, so to speak, okay, which is basic universal laws. Don't kill, no murder, no adultery, no, no, uh, no stealing, right? Those are all part of Shavu Mitzvah Nenav. So if they don't accept those laws, or they're living here, and they have to go in front of a bed, again, the Ram says, Hediotas, I believe, other Rishonim say it has to be a Bezdin, they have to come in front of a Bezdin and declare, we're accepting to keep all these laws. And if they don't do that, um, then you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to. You don't have to let them in the country. And if they violate any of the laws, you can. You can. For uh, looking, deport them, put them on buses, send them over the border, and drop them off on the other side in Lebanon. Okay. So, so the point being here is. So this is very relevant to our topic. Meaning, if you have immigrants who don't accept to keep the law of the land, whether they're, wherever they're from, from, Mexico, Syria, wherever they're from. So halacha is, at least, and that's not halacha in our case, but in the context of what we're talking about, as well, what Eric mentioned before, the Gertoshev context, you, you don't have to take them into your country if they don't agree to accept the laws. So then that leads to the question of if they're coming in here illegally, that means they're flaunting the law already, you know, on the first, you know, on the first day they're here, because they're here illegally. So that becomes a whole, that's a different question, which I'm uh, having asked a few people, I don't know, I, I'm not clear on how that works, but it would seem to me, yes, if they're not accepting the law of the land, and assuming, let's say, for example, now in Texas, where there's a sanctuary law, where you have to report someone, and they're not reporting that person, so they're violating the law. That also becomes, you know, it's meaning they have to accept the basic laws of the land in order to be, to be given rights in the, in the country. If they don't accept them, then either they're here already, we could be have a right to deport them, if they're not here yet, you know, if they take them in, if they're not ready to accept the law. So that's a very, another very important aspect. Of us, good. Yeah. Okay.
Okay, yeah, okay, so I'm just finish off. So, so the, the next thing is, which is just uh, so that's as far as the uh, the rice of the clause um, would seem like this cancels Gertosho. There's others, another whole thing that I've that I found discussed. It's a fascinating thing, which is really more the economic issue, um, less less the the security issue, more about the economic issue, which is the issue. This, there's a there's a concept discussed in the Rishonim and brought in Shachanah called Cheskas Yishuv, which is a fascinating machlok as Rishonim, which is whether do we have a right as inhabitants of a city to say we want we don't want this person living do we, do we want this person in our city? When you live in a in a city as a society, it's sort of like uh, in Houston we call it what's it called? Uh, people that charge the dues in the neighborhoods. Homeowners association. associations, right? So in Texas, you know, Texas we call it homeowners association. Which they say, listen, if you're going to join, if you're going to live in this neighborhood, you have to certain things you have to do, and we have a right to deny to say you can't buy a house. Of course, it can't be based on race and other things. But technically, the question is, in this case, it came up, and it was about other Jews. Actually, it's interesting. There were Jewish cities that said, listen, we don't want Jews from other cities coming in here because uh, you know it's it's getting overrun with too many from Jews. Have the cases like Lakewood, right? Like Jackson and all these. What's going? What's going on in New Jersey now? There's the guy I'm saying it, but uh, you know, I'm saying maybe I'm sure some people in the young Israel also uh, have an issue now. There's too many people moving in, right? So, 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 so the question was, they came to, they asked the shower. Can we say we don't want Yid moving into our neighborhoods? We're Yid because it was an economic issue, um, because they're going to take away our businesses. They're going to open. You know, uh, we're gonna have more uh, diamond dealers, more Hasidim coming in, whatever the case is. So we, we, we don't want more people coming in and encroaching on our business. Okay, even though halachically, technically, it wouldn't be an issue of Asagas Vol. Okay, we're not talking about where this, there is halachas about Asagas Vol. So talking about where halachically it doesn't meet the criteria of Asagas Vol. But the neighborhood says, or the city says, we don't want people of this profession coming in because it's going to encroach on our business. Do they have a right? It's called a cheskazish. So the original question the tour brings, it was asked to the tour, uh, it was asked to the Rush, which is the tour's father. Uh, the Rush was asked this question, and the Rush Paskin, if I have here the original, um, the Rush said, no, there's no there's no such thing. You don't own the rights to live in a city. People in cities don't own the rights. Um, here, this is the Torah. The Torah says, Adoni Rush. Question was asked to my father, the Rush. This is the Torah speaking. Who is the son of the Rush? A Jew who wants to go to a village, to live there, to make parnas. He's moving cities. And the people of that city said, um, You're going to take away our livelihood. You're coming here. You already have enough real estate people in the town. You already have enough attorneys. You're going to come in, you're, you're taking away our livelihood. We don't want you moving in it. Do they have a right to say that? To push them away from their body. Okay, so Tshuva, the Rosh answered, the tourist calling the Rosh, they cannot stop him. They have no right to stop him. Um, the Gemara that talks about this concept of Cheskaz Yishu says, is the Rosh says, it's only when people are living in the same city. And now the, uh, um, um, they're coming to set up business, a store in a different place. So if they're moving to a totally different society and they're not paying taxes, says the Rush, in that place, so then he says, then there's a concept of the people could say, listen, you're not paying taxes here, you're not part of our society, you have no right to do business. 
But assuming they're moving in and they're going to pay taxes and they're agreeing to pay taxes, they have no right to say you can't live in our, you can't come into our city, our neighboring. The, the people in the city cannot stop them. He asks a question, a rhetorical question. He says, the people living there have a chazaka on the land that say you can't move into our neighborhood? They have no chazaka to say that. And therefore they have no right to stop, in this case, other Jews from moving into the city. That's, that was the Russia's answer. But um, it's not so simple, and as I put it on the sheet, there is the Machlechus, the, 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 leave this to my Rick, turn the back, the back of the page, so now A is the Rush, you look at B, the Marik, is brought by the Ramah um, in the Shokhanah, and the Ramah brings the Salacha, and he brings the Rush, the Rosh Hashita, and then he brings also the Marik, who argues, okay, so the, כשאנחנו so that's what's machlek is uh, the the rush and the marik. Um, that's one aspect. Another thing I found, which is, um, and the Ramah uh, the Rama here brings both shitas. And then there's also a concept that it seems like the other rishonim, Rabbi Tam, also had an issue, economic issue. And therefore, what they do is they had another tool. So they said there's no cheskes yishuv, so you can't kick people out of your city, or you can't not allow them to come in. But you can put someone here. If someone is stealing someone else's business, so they would just excommunicate the person. They'd say no one, they would announce a chill. You can't do business with this person. And that was a tool that they had in cases like that. So, again, that was a better time, brings it down. He said, in actuality, he never did it, but the tool was at their disposal, so to speak, if they needed to do that. Okay, so that's, a, that's a one thing. So we have two minutes left. I just want to finish off. Um, with, with there's, an, there's another, just, uh, I guess you could say, philosophically, Machshava-wise, it's a fascinating thing, which I think is relevant to this topic, which is, uh, there's something called Midas time. As, as referred to in Allah, it's even brought in Allah, that Midastom, well, as we know, the Sadamites were known for many things. One of the things they were known for, extensive Midrash, and we talk about that they, had, they, they were against Chesed. They didn't allow hospitality in their city. And they, if they, they passed laws, similar to Governor Abbott, saying you can't uh, keep an immigrant overnight in your house. Okay, against sanctuary cities, so to speak. And this dome, the Medrash explains, actually, was an economic reason. It wasn't Stam, they were not nice people. Weren't just Stam or Shem. The Medrash says that Stam had uh, very, uh, well, I don't know what the word is, uh, expensive minerals in the ground. Um, precious metals, precious minerals, I don't know if it's metals, precious minerals. And even today, as you know, if you go to the Dead Sea area, if you go to the Galleria, they're selling all Dead Sea mud. Why? All the Israelis, because there's, there's minerals after Stam was destroyed heavy sulfur, but there were minerals even before Stein was destroyed in that area. Stein, as we know, is in the Dead Sea area. Um, you could even go see a pillar of Lot's wife. And there's like five different Lot's, I guess he had a lot of wives. Um, there's five different pillars you can see as Lot's wife. The point is, so, you, so there was major minerals, and they felt if other people are going to come in to their, to their, move into their city, they're going to lose their economy. I mean, it would be expensive. They're going to start, you know, digging up the gold, whatever it was, or whatever other minerals they had, they're expensive minerals. So, so, but still, we see, we know they're called. That's midas time, meaning if you're not going to necessarily lose, you don't have a right to stop people from coming in. So that's what's called midas time. But, so, but there's a very important thing, and there's a mechilta that says an unbelievable thing. 
written down here, but I'll just tell you quickly by heart. Mechilta says that that it was more than that. Mechilta talks about a light. If you think about a light, what happened? As you know, the famous story, Lot was Avram Avinu's nephew. Avram Avinu was the epitome of Chesed. Right? Avram Avinu was known as the epitome of Chesed. And um, Light says, learned that from him. He's, even though he left Avram, they had disagreements about money and about stealing, etc., with his sheep. And he moved to Stein because he said he liked, he liked this nostalgia that was going on. You know, in Stein, he liked the sexual immorality of Stein, the measure says. But still, Light still got the aspect of Chesed from Avram. You see that what happened when the Malachim came. He didn't know the Malachim. He invited them into his house. Right, right, the whole story in Tajatav, or whatever it was, Chaisar, I don't remember where, that Lloyd invited the Malachim into his home, and uh, when, they, when the mob surrounds the house and asks for the end uh, to send out your guests, because he's doing something illegal, because he had these illegal guests, he said, no, I'm not, you can't touch my guests. What do you do? He offered them his daughters. He says, don't you wanna, you know, they wanted to rape the, the males. He said, you know, you can have my two daughters. They're all yours. Do whatever you want to my daughters. Okay, so uh, uh, it's a fascinating thing to think about it. It's a warped, what, he was such a Baal Chesed, he learned from Ravina such Chesed, that he was ready to give up his daughters in order not to, not to affect the guests. Like, I forget, his guests shouldn't be harmed. So that's called, it's obviously a warped way of thinking. In other words, you're going to do Chesed at the expense but, of your own daughters. Don't harm my guests, but you can rape my daughters. So that's what we call, um, what I call here, uh, misguided altruism. Okay, it's very, you know, chesed is a beautiful thing. But by doing chesed, you're going to ruin your own family. And it's not chesed. It's very nice. You're helping that person. This happens as a rabbi a lot. I speak to rabbi's wives, it's a big issue. Because <laughs> right? the rabbi is 24-7 dealing with other people. He's helping everyone else's marriage. Meanwhile, his marriage is going to pet. Not getting personal there. Um, right, so, so it's a very important thing. You have to realize, this is a, for all of us, but especially in the context of, of immigrants, we have to realize chesed is a beautiful thing, but if you're doing chesed, it's going to, you know, if it's misguided altruism, you're helping the other person, but you're never home, you know, because your wife, and you're not helping your own wife, so then that's not chesed. I mean, it's very nice, you're helping the other people. So the same thing here, this is what we see from light, is this, it's a warped way of chesed. Chesed at the expense of your own society is not chesed. So you're going to bring in refugees who are going to, and people, uh, suicide bombers, going to blow up your own cities. That's not called chesed. Uh, that's called uh, war. Yeah. That's, a, that's a very important message. Thank you very much. You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.